Welcome to Lagrange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology, and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, who are a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On today's episode of Lagrange Point, we're talking about vaccines, vaccines, and vaccines. But more to the point, we're talking about measles, smallpox, bird flu, and the ethics around vaccine. On today's episode, we have Lauren, hello, Camille, hi, and our resident doctor, Tegan. Not, not technically a doctor, but hello. <laughs> so, Tegan. Before we get too far into this episode, what exactly is a vaccine and how is it different from the rest of medicine that we have? Okay, so vaccines are a type of preventative medicine. They're not treating a disease, they're trying to prevent you from getting that disease in the first place. Um, They do that by teaching your body what, um, what things to look out for, and that way your body can mount an instantaneous response if you're ever exposed to a the bacteria or virus that the vaccine is designed to prevent. So it's basically acclimatising your body to know what this is so that when it happens again, it's prepared for it. It's kind of like training it, training your body so that it knows what's coming. Does it make you immune to whatever it is? Yeah, generally, that's that's the idea, yeah. So how, many, how long have vaccines been around for? Um, the first vaccination that was created was a vaccine to smallpox, um, and that was created using a, a similar virus, the cowpox virus, um, after there was a realisation that people who had had cowpox didn't get smallpox, so they used that cowpox virus, which made you a bit sick, but not didn't kill you. Um, and they used that cowpox virus to vaccinate people, and that's where the idea kind of came from. And since then, there's been a lot more technological development, but um, the same idea is is generally used. You use a part of the virus or bacteria, and you put it into your body so that your body can, like I said, recognise it and fight it if it ever encounters it. So we have a lot of vaccines in our world at the moment for a couple of common diseases. Some of the big ones, I reckon, would be tuberculosis, smallpox, anthrax. Um, tetanus. Tetanus, I guess, is also is that a type of vaccination? Yeah, tetanus is a great one. Tetanus is really important because it's something that is um, often lethal, um, and tetanus is something we still see. Um, one of the doctors at um, Geelong Hospital told me the other day that they had a tetanus case last year that they treated at Geelong, um, so it still happens. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned tuberculosis, though. There is a tuberculosis vaccine. It's actually not that effective, though. Um, it's one of the less effective vaccines, and it's probably around 50-50 whether it actually gives you immunity or not, the TB vaccine. But we've managed to wipe out TB for the most part, haven't we? We don't see it a lot in Australia, but it's it's very, very common in some countries. It's actually really serious and very common and um, developing a lot of multi-drug resistance in some countries. It's a really big public health problem. Okay, so our vaccines are useful at the moment. Sometimes they get the things that we're vaccinating against can evolve and change, which can lead to all types of issues. Uh, which is why it's important that we do a lot of research in vaccines and why there's always updating and new ones and why boosters and so on are pretty useful. So that's a quick quick introduction to what vaccines are and now we're going to jump into some news stories around them that's been happening in our world at the moment. Recently in the news, there's been a measles outbreak in 
whales, so it's back causing havoc. That, that's pretty scary, because, like, for the most part, measles isn't a really prevalent problem in most countries. Measles is something that's really well prevented by high rates of vaccination. The vaccine's really effective against measles, so it's something that in countries where you have access to vaccination, you just don't see it anymore in people who are vaccinated. It's a different story in other countries, but for example in Australia and the UK, it's really uncommon to see a measles case. Do we get vaccinated already just in case that we don't get measles? So measles is part of a vaccine, the measles mumps rubella vaccine that you get um, as a child as part of your schedule of childhood vaccinations. So if you've had your childhood vaccinations as per the schedule, then everyone's had it. Then what's caused such a big outbreak in Wales this year when there's vaccinations for it? Like, And they've actually found there's about 2,000 cases that they've suspected and confirmed cases of measles in Wales, uh, specifically in Western England. And they've also found a couple of deaths already from this as well. If you're vaccinated, then you're not going to get measles. But if you're not vaccinated, you're still susceptible to measles. So the issue here is people who haven't been vaccinated. So there are some people who don't get their schedule of childhood vaccinations because their parents um, object to vaccination. So there's there's been a bit of drama over the years about vaccinations and especially the, the MMR, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, which all came out of a study done by a very unpopular guy now called Andrew Wakefield. So he did some research into the MMR vaccine and um, basically was um, stating that there was a link between that vaccine and autism. What was they using as the actual link there? Was it just that there's an increased chance of a child developing autism after receiving this vaccine? Yeah, so Wakefield... Wakefield's article that he published on this topic in The Lancet. Which is one um, of the esteemed medical journals in the world. Which is a big deal if you get something published in it. It's kind of the biggest deal you can have. Since been retracted and it now turns out that the data wasn't accurate that he collected. So he basically created that link and there wasn't truly a link. It's been completely discredited. The reason why he did this study was in connection with a lawsuit being filed by people, so he was being paid to find a link which would be beneficial for a lawsuit. Yeah, he had he had a financial incentive. Um, it was basically, he manufactured the link, he created it, and used bogus data to create that. There have been some really interesting um, articles explaining how that all happened, um, published in the British Medical Journal. You can look up um, Brian Deere, who's a journalist, did a really interesting series of um, stories about it. And it's a fascinating thing, but I guess what it means for us now is there's a lot of fear out there. Every parent wants the best for their child and wants to protect them. You've got to kind of be open-minded when you're talking to parents. For parents, it's really hard to sort of wade through the information that's out there and work out what's true and what's not. And doctors have a really important role to kind of help them through that. And there's also a responsibility of the medical community because this was, again, published in The Lancet, which is kind of, even if you were a doctor, even if you were familiar with medical research, you go, okay, well, this is the best journal for medicine. Yeah. And if it's published in that, well... So all these parents who are trying to protect their kids by not getting vaccinated with that particular vaccine are now facing having their child possibly die from getting measles because they weren't vaccinated? Is That's that- right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it's a really tough situation for people to be in. There's um, some difficult decisions there, but these days 
all of the medical fraternity is for vaccinations. So you, you hope that that rate of um, non-vaccination gets lower and lower and gets back to um, everyone vaccinating their kids and, and protecting them. And that, that, that points out a really interesting topic because now what they're going to have to do is when people realise, hang on a second, we didn't get this vaccine, let's, let's get vaccinated properly now. So it's actually made people go out and get vaccinated, which is good but at the same time means that you have to produce a lot of vaccines, distribute and inject a lot of people with these vaccines in a really quick period of time. Yeah, it would be an absolute nightmare for the health services trying to um, get everyone vaccinated in time. I think they've been running like not quite 24 hours, but they've been constantly vaccinating people in clinics at the hospital and that would be a staffing nightmare. And like you said, where do they get the vaccine from? Do they just, you know, keep on hand thousands of doses of the... <laughs> measles vaccine just in case people decide wake up in the morning and say oh i'll go you know i'll go get my kids vaccinated today you know it's a really hard thing for them because they don't want to be wasting vaccines and hanging on to them they'll all have a use by date after which they have to just be chucked and there's you know costs involved in refrigerating them most vaccines have to be refrigerated really carefully one of the interesting parts that this leads to is things that we do store um, for long periods of time and have a stockpile on, such as flu vaccines, um, as well as ones we have to out get outdated really quickly, which is flu vaccines. <laughs> and, and we'll look at that right now in the next section on looking at the outbreaks of bird flu in China and how we deal with flu vaccines in Australia and other countries. So, Camille, have you had your yearly flu jab? Uh, actually, no. I've got quite a good immune system and I don't think I've ever got the flu. Really? Well, yeah. you're very lucky. I am very lucky. <laughs> Um, a lot of workplaces actually give them out for free as part of their health plans. Um, I know a couple of the companies I work at, you just have to schedule a time and they were doing it where they ejected basically most of the staff. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone likes to do this in um, the lead up to winter um, to make sure that their immune system is in the best condition. I haven't had my flu vaccine though, uh, speaking of which. What about um, you, Lauren? Uh, no, I've kind of been avoiding it because, you know, injection shots are scary. Uh. And, you know, this is, uh, this is the really interesting part about it. Um, because the flu vaccine is one of the vaccines that helps um, in day-to-day -day life. Flu isn't necessarily a life or death situation, but it can be pretty debilitating. The big issue is, though, um, flu is a really, really adaptive type of virus. It changes itself yearly, and there's various strains. I'm sure you've heard H1N1, H1B1, um, uh, bird flu, pig flu, dog flu, cat flu. Horse flu. <laughs> um, one flu over the cuckoo nest. All of those kind of <laughs> flus are different names we give to help identify these strains, but that basically goes to say that the flu is an ever-evolving and changing virus. Once it goes through two people, it isn't quite necessarily the same. How do you develop a vaccine against that, then? It's really, really hard. And so the vaccines that we have, we try to develop a vaccine that works in a generalised case for a particular base type of strain. So we say, well, look, this works hopefully with things of this type, um, but the thing is, we don't know for sure. So even if you have the flu jab, it is not necessarily a guarantee that you're not going to get the flu, which is very different to, say, measles, where we can be a bit more certain because it's less changeable. So how are the, how is the flu vaccinations working at the moment with the Tegan? How, how do we develop them? So every year there's um, a bit of a prediction made about um, which new strains are, are going to be, I guess, going viral that year. <laughs> um, and so they do, they do redevelop it constantly and, and kind of keep an eye out for what's on the radar. Um, but obviously kind of developing that 
that vaccine, it takes time. You can't just do it in, in a week, you know. Um, so they, they kind of um, look at the other hemisphere of the world and see what they've gone through in their winter, what's been, um, what's been a big problem for their winter, um, and base some of it on that. And they, so for instance, I know when we had swine flu being a problem, um, in the lead up to our winter, they actually worked quite hard. People down at CSL in Melbourne, for example, is one of the major uh, uh, vaccine players, um, which is a great bit of Australian research. They worked really quickly to try and develop one specifically for swine flu and then distribute that. And the government bought a stockpile of that in the lead up to winter to make sure that people could be vaccinated against that particular strain because they saw the damage it did in Europe and so on. The problem was, due to travel and everything like that, the vaccine started coming, sorry, the swine flu started coming into Australia before the winter season really kicked in. Mm. And so that shows the never-ending game. You can try and copy and get ahead of the curve by looking being what's done in other countries, but still, since due to our interconnected world, you cannot necessarily be completely ahead of the game all the time. Which is an example that we're looking at in China now. So China is currently, uh, their main virus that is underway is the H7N9 virus, and one of the things we track this is we track this in animals. So when we talk about bird flu, avian flu, or swine flu, we're talking about the where we see it presented most and transmitted through. Uh, so we track the virus in that, and then we look for when it evolves and makes the step into transmission to humans. So that's one of the other ways we like gather intelligence on what the viruses are doing across the world, and then mm. make our preparations for it. Mm. So what? The bird flu was big a couple of years ago, wasn't it? So yeah. Is this a different bird flu? Yeah. So H5N1 was the big one, the other big okay. avian flu from mm. a few, few years back. This is a new variant, H7N9. So, again, these are just basically markers that we use to discuss the variants. And the H's and N's and so on, they have all different meanings. Uh, and they basically used to demark the variations in them. What they found, though, is that uh, this, this outbreak has been mostly localised to China uh, and specifically people in the uh, poultry industries, um, whereas it's now found that it's spread to Taiwan. So this is uh, the first instance that they've picked up of this particular H7N9 version in Taiwan. So they're actually tracking where this virus is moving across China and the world. And so this will probably be one that a lot of research labs are working on good vaccines against right now as so they prepare for our flu season or Europe's next flu season. Mm. Does, does this mean there's a chance that this is going to spread to, for example, Australia and Europe as well? There's certainly likely. I mean, Australia is always a possibility given our proximity. Um, but again, we're almost about to get into our season, so I don't know how this will work uh, in the flu cycle, so to speak. But it's something interesting to keep track of, and if you think about it, it's like doctors have to run an intelligence network scattered across the world, like yeah. the CIA, but for viruses. <laughs> and they're always keeping one step ahead of the game, and the vaccines are kind of like our James Bond, except we like have a stockpile of them that we give to people. Or we could just have multiple James Bonds. <gasps> well, that's true. We'll see. We'll... Giving out vaccines, just having me. <laughs> and it would be like 009, because it's H7 and 9. <laughs> And, well, it and could I still be 007. 007, 009. Mm. I reckon if we had James Bond giving out vaccinations, I think we'd have a pretty high vaccination rate. I think we would <laughs> yeah. have an amazing vaccination rate. So that's looking at the way we use vaccines in our everyday life and the difficulties and challenges we face in preparing them. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This is part one of our vaccine special. Tune in next week for more discussion with Tegan Dobby about the ethics of vaccination, herd immunity and new research about turning vaccines to fight for our side. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics.
Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the Young Scientists of Australia.